0: chapter 95 oh come let us sing to the lord let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation let us come before his presence with thanksgiving let us shout joyfully to him with psalms for the lord is the great god and the great king above all gods in his hands are the deep places of the earth the height of the hills are his also the sea is his for he made it and his and his hands have formed the dry land O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. So I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest.
1: I'd like you to ask yourselves this question, what is the best worship service you've ever attended? Keep that in the back of your mind about what that consisted of in light of the passage that was just read this morning. As we gather together and worship God, as we think about the words of the psalmist, oh come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. You know, that one sentence pretty much says it all. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. We're here this morning, and hopefully every time we gather together, to worship the rock of our salvation. The one who saved us from our sin. And we're here to shout joyfully to him, to sing praises to him. The Lord is the great God. Let us kneel down before him. He is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. What's the best worship service you've ever attended? What did it consist of? How many people were there? Do you remember when and where it was? Do you remember who the teacher was that day and what he taught taught about? Do you remember what the singing was like? Maybe specific songs that were sung. Why it was particularly edifying? It's my belief that as we gather together as the Lord's body and as we symbolize his church, that every single worship service, we should attempt to make it look like that. Every single time we, the doors are open, every single time we gather together, we should be giving God our best. As we consider this subject of excellence in worship, think about what that looks like in your own mind. And I'm going to tell you right now, before we get started... Inevitably, when you talk about things like this, the the idea and the concept of subjectivity comes up. Like, well, what you like, I may not like. You may not do things the way I do things. We're not talking about matters of judgment this morning. I'm not talking about you have to do the things the way that I think they should be done. I'm talking about God expects effort, He expects our best when we gather to Him in worship. And we may be getting a little inside baseball this morning, if you will. Those of you that are visiting with us, I'm not, I don't know all of your backgrounds. I don't know how familiar you are with the Churches of Christ. So maybe this will be something new to you. To those of you who are members of this congregation specifically, I'm not saying we have a lot of problems in these areas. But I think a lot of you, like me, you've been doing this three times a week since before you can remember. You know, That's where Mom and Dad took me. And so, therefore... It becomes so easy for us to forget. It becomes so easy for us to go through the motions and forget that why we're here is to praise the rock of our salvation and he deserves our very best. Does it matter? When we talk about excellence in worship, does it even matter that we're, the quality of our worship? Because we are very specific about the way we do things as well we should be. We are very Um, we're very concerned with doctrinal purity and that's something we should be concerned with. And so was that all that matters? As long as we're doing things the way that God has commanded that we do them and we're doing it sincerely, is that really all that matters? Is that what excellence is? Or does it mean something more? Does it mean going above and beyond what our talents and abilities are now and trying to grow and get better and do better that we can make our services the best that they can possibly be? When I talk about worship this morning, we're talking about Worship in the assembly. I know a lot of times people say, Well, I worship in many different ways in my life. We're not talking about that today. We're talking about the assembly of the church that we're in this morning and making that the best that we possibly can. Doesn't matter. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 2 says, Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give sacrifice to fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth. Let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven. And you on earth, therefore, let your words be few. Walk prudently, what does that mean? That word is translated in other areas as pay attention, consider, examine, watch over, or guard. We need to be careful when we go to the house of God. We need to watch our steps when we enter the house of God. We need to do so prudently. We need to have care and oversight and thought when it comes to that. And it needs to be something that we take very seriously. For God is in heaven and we are on earth. We're here to worship the creator of the universe. And we need part of that is recognizing our place and knowing how important it is that we do it the way he wants it to be done. He says in Malachi chapter 1 verse 7, You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, In what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. I don't know if sometimes we bury our heads in the sand or deceive ourselves into thinking that the quality of our worship doesn't matter. In this case right here, God was not happy with their sacrifices. They were offering the lame. They were offering the blind. They were offering the sick. He says, you want me to be happy with this? You want me to be pleased with your effort on this? What about when you're giving to your governor, whatever that means, to your employer, to your to your boss, to your teachers at school, to your friends and your family, your duties to them and your relationships, would they be satisfied with the level of effort that you give to God in worship? I believe we say this morning that worship does matter. Worship matters what we do, why we do it, how we do it. It matters. God expects excellence in our worship. I want to talk a little bit about Old Testament versus New Testament because a lot of the passages we're going to use this morning come from the Old Testament. And invariably, we're going to get a lot of conversation about, well, the dividing of the covenants, all things true. Well, things have changed since the Old Testament. That's true. We don't worship the same way as they did in the Old Testament. We have freedoms and liberties under Christ that they didn't have in the Old Testament. All these things are true. None of that, though, is a consideration for me in what we're talking about because we're not talking about the things that we do our methods and our modes of worship. We're talking about the level of effort involved in that. We're talking about how we do that. And I read nothing in the scriptures that says God's expectations from the Old Testament to the New Testament had changed from being strict and requiring what they did back then and to becoming mediocre under Christ. I read nothing in the Bible that says that. And in John chapter 4, as Jesus is talking to the woman at Jacob's well they talk about worship a little bit and the woman says sir i know you're a prophet and our fathers worship on this mountain and you say jews that you say that the jews should worship in jerusalem where the jews say that jerusalem is the place to worship which is the case which one is it jesus says woman believe me the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in jerusalem worship the father You worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know for salvations of the Jews. What he's telling her is, listen, you're a Samaritan, and you really don't know what you're worshiping. We're Jews, salvations of the Jews, we worship according to what God has commanded us. But he said the hour is coming when that's going to change. Your worship that you do, the worship that the Jews do, that's about to become obsolete because Jesus is about to die on the cross, and the church is about to be established. He says, the hour is coming, verse 23, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Now this phrase, to worship in spirit and truth, we often use it to talk about how we're supposed to worship from our hearts and according to the word of God. And that's not an inaccurate description of our worship to God. But what Jesus, I think, is revealing to this woman transcends that. What he's telling her, there's about to become a change. There's about to become true worship that you're not used to and that no one is used to. You see, under the law of Moses, there's a lot of physical, ritualistic things that go on. All the sacrifices they did at the temple, all the things that the priests had to do to consecrate themselves and to dedicate themselves, all those things were very physical in nature. And a lot of those things were shadows of the church that shadowed what things would be like under Christ, or the shadows of Christ himself. And so in the New Testament, you had physicality, and you had a shadow of the truth. Under New Testament worship, you have spiritual worship, and you're worshiping the true thing, which is Jesus Christ. And so I would submit to you this morning that our worship to God isn't less important, but more important than it was under the New Testament Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose he will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Now, this can be talking about other areas in our life, but consider worship. If a person doesn't worship the way they're supposed to under the Old Testament, many times they're supposed to die for that. And just because we don't see immediate punishment, that doesn't mean that our worship today is any less important. In fact, I believe it's more important. What does excellent worship consist of? If we're going to proceed under the assumption, and I think it's more than just an assumption that excellence matters, then how do we do that? What does it look like? What does it consist of? First of all, excellent worship starts with being there. It starts with being here. How are we going to worship if we're not here? I know a a man that I used to, to work with, he... He made a a post on social media one time and he said, being in church doesn't make anyone a Christian any more than being in a garage makes someone a mechanic. And, you know, I guess that's a true statement when you think about it just that one way. You know, I don't walk into a garage and all of a sudden I'm I'm a mechanic. People who know me know that's not the truth, right? Okay, just because I'm in church doesn't mean I'm Christian, doesn't mean I'm worshiping in spirit and truth, I understand that. But the converse of that is not true. I'm not gonna take my car to a mechanic who doesn't have a garage. Well, so-and-so down the street just throws it up on blocks in his front yard. I'm not taking my car to him. I want the best, I want Will Lewis, right? Will's got a garage, he's got all the cool stuff. You probably don't want me saying that about him. Don't take your car to Will. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously though, we want the best, right? The same is true when we're worshiping. Just because I'm here doesn't mean I'm worshiping, but I can't worship unless I'm here. We have to be here. The scripture says, Let us consider one another to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, exhorting one another. And I believe this passage has probably been abused a little bit over the years. Because we look at someone who maybe missed an assembly and we say, Oh, well, you've forsaken the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. That's not what this verse is trying to teach us. If somebody misses an assembly, they haven't, that's a pretty strong word there, forsake. That means to leave behind, to forsake. And so somebody misses one assembly, they haven't forsaken the assembly, but we don't need to be blase about missing the assembly. We don't need to just shrug it off and think, Oh, it's not a big deal. It's not important. The fact is, is when one person is not here, the assembly is not as good as it could have been. Think about that just a minute. When just one per- one person in this room right now stays home today, the assembly is not as good as it could have been. Your, contrib- your contribution to that matters. Let's talk a little bit about that elephant that's in the room right now. How often do I have to come worship? When do I need to be here? The doors of this congregation are open three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Wednesday evening. That's how I grew up. That's how many of you grew up. We have gospel meetings. We've got one coming up pretty quick. We're going to be here every night of the week. What's what's required of me? What does the Bible say about when I have to be at the assembly of the church? We talk about communion. The Bible tells us that the disciples met on the first day of the week to break bread, and we think, "Oh, well, then we're required to come on the first day of the week." That's one reason we're here on the first day of the week. I'll grant you that. But you know, a lot of times I see, I've heard men at the table officiating, and they and they start off by saying, "We come to the part of our service, and this is the reason we're here today." And I don't really like that statement because this is a reason that we're here today, but it's not the reason we're here today we're here to praise and worship God this is part of that but if you're looking for a scripture or a set of scriptures that says that God is in heaven with his clipboard making a check mark every time you come to church or don't come to church you're not going to find that and if you ask me that's the wrong attitude to say well what is required of me how long how often do I have to be at the assembly in Acts chapter 2 excuse me continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. What did they do? Just earlier in this chapter, Peter had accused them, and they were convicted of killing the Son of God. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? They, they started off with their sins, and then a week later, they're, every day they're meeting and they're worshiping and they're praising God because their sins have been forgiven. And they weren't asking Peter, hey, Peter, how often we got to do this? They were thankful and they were glad that their sins had been washed away. And they were happy to be there. They wanted to be there. And it wasn't a question of, well, what's required of me? What's the bare minimum I have to do in order to worship God? The fact is that when we miss miss the assembly of the church, we're missing an opportunity. We're missing a lot of opportunities. We're missing an opportunity to praise God. We're missing an opportunity to be uplifted and edified ourselves. We're missing an opportunity to encourage and have fellowship with our brothers and sisters. And when just one person's not here, it's not as good as it could have been. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. shouldn't be I have to come to church. It should be I want to come to church. It shouldn't be how often do I have to be here. It should be why would I not want to be here? How can I keep from singing his praise? How can I keep from shouting his name in the song that we've sung this morning? Why would you not want to be here? Excellent worship starts with being there, and excellent worship is sincere and doctrinally pure. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I think we all understand this. Excellent worship is sincere and doctrinally pure. Jesus talked about the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7. He said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. The Pharisees had a problem with their worship. It was vain. It was useless. Jesus said it's useless because, number one, your heart is far from me. Your hearts aren't in it. You're not doing it for the right reasons. They were there to lift themselves up. Number two, you've elevated your own traditions and commandments above what true doctrine is. And so they were doing it wrong, and they were doing it for the wrong reasons. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the church of Corinth had a big problem with the Lord's Supper. They were doing it way wrong. It wasn't even close. And Paul told him, in giving you these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. He says, you might as well have just stayed home. You are worse off for having come to, quote-unquote, worship today because you've messed this up so badly. You should have just stayed home. So what we do matters and why we do it matters. Truth and sincerity are important. And we're going to come back to that concept as we go throughout this to kind of reiterate that. But at the end of the day, I believe this church believes that as a whole. I believe our leadership does. I believe we practice that and I believe we do our best to make sure that what we're doing is doctrinally pure. And I believe that's very important. Excellent worship requires holiness on a personal, individual level. This is something we all need to think about. When you read in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 through 14, God says to them through Isaiah, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies... Listen to what he says here. I cannot endure the iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates, they are trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. I can't imagine any stronger language than this. These people they were worshiping and they were doing all the right things. The new moons, the Sabbath, the feasts, their sacrifices. Those were all things they were commanded to do, but God said, I don't want it anymore. Because they were entangled and overcome in sin, in their own personal lives. Now, we're not talking about stumbling, making a mistake, and then saying, well, I I committed a sin yesterday, so I shouldn't come to church today. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about our sinful pattern of behavior, if we have one. A pattern of behavior that's wrapped up in sin that cannot worship God. And what God is saying here is, I don't want any part of it. If that's the way you want to live, why are we worshiping God? Because our sins have been forgiven. How are we going to do that properly or at all if we're caught up in sin? It just does not work. And so one way individually we can all make sure that our own worship is more pure, more excellent in the sight of God is making sure that outside these walls we're living the life of a Christian who may ascend to the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, he who has clean hands and a pure heart who's not lifted up his soul to an idol, that man will receive blessing from the Lord. So that's not anything I can judge about you or you can judge about me. That's something we have to individually examine ourselves on and make sure that we are giving ourselves the best worship we possibly can to God because we're living our life in a holy manner outside these walls. Excellent worship benefits from preparation. Let's think about preparation from a standpoint of just, Everybody that's here today, do you prepare to come to worship? Is that something you give forethought to? You know, in Exodus chapter 19, God said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. Let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. What was God asking Moses to do? He was asking him to prepare the people for worship. He says, Today and tomorrow... I want you to get these people ready. They need to wash their clothes. They need to make themselves clean. They need to prepare themselves. They need to get ready for me to come down to that mountain. They need to get ready for worship. And we see this all throughout the, New, the Old Testament. The priests and all the things that they had to do. When you think, read about Aaron and his sons at the as they begin to dedicate the tabernacle and the things they had to go just to prepare for worship. It was very extensive. And we don't have a whole lot of guidance or we don't have a whole lot of, I guess, commandments, if you will, in the New Testament about preparing ourselves for worship, maybe it's something we need to think about. How do you prepare for worship? And maybe this is an area where we do have certain liberties. Each one of us can prepare in our own way. A few ideas that I thought of, number one, living in holiness. That's, we've already talked about that. Number two, plan our lives around worship. In other words, don't plan Worship around everything else we've got going on, but rather plan everything else around the fact that I'm going to be at church. Make provision to be there. Make sure that there's nothing that hinders us from doing that. Maybe to pray beforehand, maybe whether that's the night before, the morning of. Pray to God about your worship, that it will be acceptable in his sight to read scripture. Maybe listen to some gospel music in preparation for that. Maybe sing some songs in preparation for that. Get a good night's sleep. That's something that I struggle with sometimes. You know, you get that weekend, and, you know, the whole week you've been running around, scrambling to get the kids where they need to go to soccer practice and band practice, and and it comes, you know, Saturday night, and you're like, I'm going to sit down and watch a little TV myself tonight after these kids are in bed. Maybe I need to just go to bed and get a good night's sleep and prepare for worship instead. Get to the building early. You know, we don't have a whole lot of problem with uh, fellowship around here, as most of you know. Uh, we are fellowshipping right up until about ten twenty-nine, maybe a little after sometimes. And we are fellowshipping about two hours after sometimes. Uh, but, you know, maybe get to the building early and get some fellowship in, Get that, you know, get that brotherly love going and, and the, get into the spirit of that a little bit. And those of us that help in the services with song leading and things like that, let's get there early and make ourselves available to whoever's in charge so that they can get, arrange services in a timely manner. Those are all things. None of these things I'm saying you have to do. These are just suggestions and ideas. The most important thing, I think, is don't make worship an afterthought. And whatever way that works for you, whatever way helps you to prepare, just don't make it an afterthought. Put some time and thought into, what can I do to prepare myself, prepare myself for worship? Next, excellent worship means giving our best. And this is really kind of the thrust of what I want to, want to talk about to you. Excellent worship is giving our best. You know, when you think about excellence, the very term excellence just brings to mind our best effort, doesn't it? I grew up in the 80s and the 90s watching guys like Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, those guys playing basketball. The best of the best, right? Forget about LeBron. He's, he's the new guy. The old guys really knew how to do it, right? I'm kidding. But you know, when you look at those guys, you don't think, hey, Michael Jordan kind of put forth a mediocre effort. He's not, yeah, just kind of half-hearted. No, those guys gave their best. And because of that, we regard them as excellent in their field. The cream of the crop. And it doesn't matter what level or field that you're in, excellence requires our best and full effort. It means giving our best. Psalm 9, verses 1 through 2, I I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Not part of my heart, not most of my heart, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And I get it. You know, we're here three times a week, as we've already talked about. Sometimes we're... You know, there's sometimes when it's just like you've had a hard week at work and you're just not feeling it. I understand those things happen. But he says, I will praise you with my whole heart. And maybe we should think about that more often as we come to the assembly of the church. 1 Corinthians fourteen twelve says, Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church as you seek to excel. You know, the church at Corinth, they had a, this big thing about their spiritual gifts. Everybody wanted the spiritual gifts that they had, those miraculous gifts. And Paul says, that's great. I want you to have those. And if you want to excel for that, that's great. But remember what it's for. It's for to excel at the edification of the church. You desire those spiritual gifts, that's fine. You desire to excel at that for one reason, to edify the church. And he goes on to say in verse 26, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So if we think about this logically, if all things are to be done for edification, and we're supposed to seek to excel at edification, we're supposed to seek to excel at all things that we do here. Whether that's our singing, whether it's our teaching, whether it's our praying, whether it's our giving, it's at the the Lord's Supper, whatever it is, we should be giving our best effort. We should be seeking to excel at that, because all those things are designed by God to edify the congregation and to glorify him. And we need to be giving our best effort at that. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he says, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You know, as we consider this passage in relation to our excellence in worship, understand how God set things up. How he himself gave some responsibilities to some and talents and others to other people. That's how he God set it up. Not everyone can be a teacher, and that's okay. Not everyone can lead a song. That's okay, too. Not everyone is comfortable with speaking in any capacity at all in public. That's okay. We all have different roles and responsibilities, and because you may not take part in those things, And especially consider all the women in the congregation in what we consider our doctrinal purity. Women don't participate in in those ways. To say, well, I'm not important because I don't do those things is just false. It's the wrong attitude to have. He talks about the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. How God has set the members, each one of them in the body as he pleased. This was God's design. This was his plan. He says, he talks about how if all were one member, where would the body be? And how the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. You know, I don't think about my little toe very often. But, you know, I'm a a six foot two guy and some odd pounds. Nobody needs to know that part, I guess. (laughs) But I've got little nine and a half size feet. That might surprise you. My son, my oldest son has 12, size 12 feet. He's got bigger feet than I do. You know it's and I need that little toe. I need every little bit of support I can get. I don't think about it very often, but it's got I got to have it. I need it. And to belittle someone else or to belittle ourselves because I don't might not have the same talent that someone else has. It's just wrong. It's not the way God designed it. And especially I think applying more to how we think about ourselves because you may think well I don't have a talent level that somebody has. I don't do the things, so I'm not as important. That's hogwash. You're just as important as anyone. That's exactly what this scripture is telling us. Those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And it's time to stop limiting ourselves in our devotion simply because I may not have the same talents or responsibilities as someone else. And it's time to start thinking less of people and not expecting them to do things just because they don't have the same talent as other people have. You know, we, we consider our elders as an example, or I do. I expect Kerry and Craig to be here every Sunday. Obviously, Craig is traveling somewhere today, or else he'd be here, right? I mean, we expect them to be here. If Carrie's not here, I know he's traveling, because Kerry comes even when he's sick, when he shouldn't be here. He tries to get me sick when he comes, Right? That's his level of commitment. We expect that out of our elders, and well, we should. But that doesn't mean the rest of us shouldn't be here and have the same level of commitment and the same level of devotion. We can't expect people who have different, you know, maybe what we consider higher responsibilities or more talent. We we shouldn't expect a higher level of devotion and a higher level of effort from those people than we do everyone else. And we ourselves shouldn't expect less of ourselves than we do those people. I hope that makes sense to you. That our level of responsibility, our level of talent does not dictate our level of devotion and effort. We're all in this together. We're all members of the body of Christ. And every single person that's here today is critical to the worship of this service, the worship service this morning. Therefore, let us continually, or by him continually, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice of praise. When I hear the word sacrifice, I think of Jesus. And when I think of Jesus, I don't think about words like mediocre and half-hearted. I think of a Savior who gave everything for me. And that's why we're here today. To worship the Savior that gave us everything. Why would we not give everything we have? Why would we not give our best and full effort at everything that we do when we come to this assembly? Finally this morning, excellent worship involves leadership. And so continuing on with this theme of giving our best, let's narrow the scope of that just a little bit. And talk about those of us in this congregation that, that participate in leading worship in whatever capacity that might be that process of leading whether it's arranging services or teaching leading singing, officiating at the table those things require special effort they require forethought they require leadership in order for us to make our worship service the best that they can possibly be in 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 2 Peter talks to his fellow elders he says the elders who are among you I exhort, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. You know, the elders of this congregation and other congregations have a pretty heavy burden of responsibility of overseeing their congregations. And that oversight involves many different things outside the assembly, for sure. But part of that is oversight of what happens in this assembly on a weekly basis. That's a responsibility that I believe our elders take very seriously and is very important to them. And that's a responsibility that you and I should be cognizant of. And that we're willing to make every effort to support them and follow them in their leadership in that area. And that we can do everything that we can do to make our worship great and the best that it can possibly be. You know, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40, it says, Let all things be done decently and in order. To obey this command requires requires effort. And it requires forethought, and it requires leadership. This service doesn't just come together. We all just don't decide to get here, and men don't just randomly get up and lead songs whenever they feel like it. Things are done decently and in order, and that's done because of leadership. The elders have placed men in charge of arranging services. Those men show up and take care of their responsibilities. And those are some considerations that we need to have. Some of the things I think about is arranging and organizing the services. When we do that, we need to do the best that we can. It's not just a matter of taking that little sheet that's back there and as soon as somebody walks in the door, we go, okay, first song, second song, third song, fourth song, and just go down our list and fill out the card. We need to put some thought and effort into that. And again, I realize subjectivity plays a big role in this, okay? And my goal with with this list here, when I talk about these things, it's not to tell you, you should want to do things the way I want to do them. Those are matters of judgment. There's nothing we can do about that. And maybe I disagree sometimes with things that are done. At the end of the day, all I care about is thought being taken for it. The consideration is being made. The preparation is being made. And we're making an effort at trying to do this the best way that we possibly can. Consider song selection. The songs that we lead, are, are, you know is that important? Do we just pick a song out of the book at random song leaders? Do we just say, oh, I like this song, and I, and I can lead this one, so I'll get up and, and try it. Maybe we pick a song we shouldn't be leading. I've, I really don't know how to lead this. I'm just going to trust that the congregation knows how to sing this and do my best. Maybe we need to think about those things. Give a little thought to that. Talk to the person that's giving the lesson. If you've got the invitation song or maybe the song before the lesson, say, hey, is there a particular song you want me to lead to help, you know, go along with this message? The Lord's table. You know, if we're, preparing, if we're organizing services, maybe if we want to ask somebody to do this, maybe we ask them a couple of days in advance and let them kind of maybe get a few thoughts together and organize. And if we're doing, if we are officiating at the table, let's, you know, let's make this something special. Let's make it not just going through the motions and and doing it by rote, but rather giving some thought to it. I'm not saying we have to make it a second sermon, and indeed it should not be a second sermon. But it should be something very thought-provoking and something to get our minds prepared for what we're about to do. Announcements that may not seem important. You know, I'm (laughs) guilty as charged. My wife's smirking at me right now. Because I'm not good at announcements. I'd rather preach ten sermons than make announcements one time. Why is that? Because I don't, I'm not giving my best effort at it, probably. I'm probably not putting forth the effort that I should. I need to be thinking about what I want to say, not just go through the motions of, well, we're happy to see all of our visitors here today. If you consider yourself a visitor, we're glad you're here. Hope you come back in business whenever you have an opportunity. Got it memorized, see? And, and sometimes it's just Pathetic. And I don't put the thought and effort to it that I should. These are all just suggestions, ideas. Most importantly, do your best. Give thought to it. And what my best may be, may be different than your best. As far as my idea of what that should be, that's fine. Give some thought to it. Let's do our best. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. I want to spend a little bit of special time on this verse. Narrow that scope just a little bit more. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. I focus on this just a little bit more than all the other aspects because we spend so much time in our assembly, this morning more time than I would like, but it is what it is, in the teaching service. Brothers, those of, those of us that get up here and, and teach the congregation, we've got a pretty pretty important responsibility. That's a responsibility we need to take very seriously. We have a duty, a privilege, to teach this congregation. And that's something that we need to be able to do skillfully. That's something that we need to take great care and put effort into. When I think sometimes about the efforts that I've made in the past, When I've stood before this congregation, I'm ashamed. I'm not saying it happens all the time, but it's happened. And I know all of my brothers out there that do the same thing, I'm pretty sure each one of you could say the same thing, that there were times when you just didn't give it your best effort. This is a pretty important, I don't think we can overstate the importance of this passage. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing we shall receive a stricter judgment. I'm not trying to discourage anyone this morning. I don't want to discourage anyone from teaching that wants to be a teacher. Because I believe the way we do things here, the plurality of teachers, I think that's important. And I think it's the way God designed it. But I also think we need to take that responsibility very seriously and we need to be giving our best effort We need men not just to stand up here and read the Bible to people. We need men to teach the Bible. If it was just the case of reading the Word of God and saying, well, the Word of God is being preached by being read, anybody can do that. And if that was the case, we wouldn't need this passage of Scripture. We need men who are willing and able to take this responsibility seriously and to give their best effort And to do it skillfully. Now, if that's not something you're willing to do as a teacher, maybe you should consider whether or not the fact that you want to be a teacher. Again, I don't want to discourage anyone from teaching. But this is what God expects from us. It's not a matter of what I expect. It's not a matter of what our elders expect. It's what God expects from us as teachers. And we better be sure. And if we make the commitment... To get on that schedule, then we need to make the commitment and stick to it and give it our best effort. Excellent worship starts with being here. It's sincere and doctrinally pure. It requires holiness. Benefits from preparation means giving our best, and it involves leadership. All these things, there are so many things I wanted to say this morning. I've been studying on this subject for quite a while, and they This is, believe it or not, this is whittled down. This is with some of the fat trimmed off of it. I preached a little bit longer today than I normally like, but there's so much that we can consider. Hopefully what I've done this morning is encouraged you to think about your own worship and what you can do personally to make our service just a little bit better every single time. As we close, I want to think about this statement, that we have the truth. Sometimes you'll hear people talking about worshiping down the road somewhere. And they say, oh, I went to so-and-so church, and man, there were a thousand people there, and the band was great, and the music was, was awesome. And the preacher, he doesn't talk down to us or make us feel bad about ourselves. He just tries to uplift us and make us feel good about our lives. He doesn't convict us and all these things. And it was just such a great, uplifting time of worship. And a lot of us would look at that and say... Yeah, but, but it's, it's doctrinally you're not there. You're not doing the right things. You're not saying the right things. You're not preaching the right things. We have the truth, right? I've said it before. You may have said it before. I've heard it said, but we've got the truth. And we take that flag, that banner of doctrinal purity, and we stick it in the, in the ground right next to a cappella singing. God wants us to worship with a cappella singing. I believe that. So do you. And we stick that flag right on that ground. And we take that flag and we stick it in the ground right next to a plurality of teachers. We say, this is God's plan and design for our worship, that we would have a plurality of teachers. And we stick that flag there, as well it should be. And we take that flag and we stick it in the ground right next to this table, and we say, the Lord wants us to remember our Savior every first day of the week, as well we should. Sometimes I wonder, though, Do we sacrifice excellence at the altar of doctrinal purity? Do we have this attitude of, well, we have the truth, and therefore we don't give our best effort? You know, as Paul talked to the church at Corinth about their worship, he talked a lot about the spiritual gift of tongues and how it was causing confusion in the assembly, and he talked about if an unbeliever comes in, Will they not say that you're out of your mind? You're crazy. You people don't know what you're doing. And I think about that in the context of our worship. If an unbeliever, someone who may have never set foot in a church in their life, comes to visit our assembly, what are they going to see? And what are they going to take away? Those of us who were raised doing this further back than we can even remember, you know, the doctrinal purity thing is what what we hold on to, and that's fine. But someone who's never set foot in a church building or maybe in a church of Christ, they're going to think, So what's going on here? What's different about these people? You know, the greatest argument against a cappella singing is bad a cappella singing. The greatest argument against the plurality of teachers is bad teaching. And if an unbeliever comes in, someone who's never set foot in a church in their life, and they say, what are these people doing? They don't have any pianos. They don't have any instruments. The singing is horrible. That guy up there, teaching, never went to college. He's not a good teacher. And, and don't misunderstand me. Those things are, I'm not saying guys up here have to go to college to teach. What I'm saying is we need to do a good job. Well, y'all may do communion every week, but it's just going through the motions. At least it's special when we do it. Let's make it special every week time let's put forth our best effort every single time so that what he will come in and he will worship God and report that God is truly among you that's what we want those unbelievers to do that's what we want those visitors who've never set foot in a church building to do to come here and say wow these people the singing is fantastic the teaching is wonderful and they're uplifted from that they come back and then and then they begin to learn oh wait these people are doctrinally pure in what they do They think it's important to do things the way the Bible says to do it. And these people are sincere in what they do. What we do, why we do it, how we do it. It's all important. We talked about the effort of our Lord and Savior this morning. Jesus gave every effort to make sure that he was the sacrifice that we needed to wash away our sins. If you're not a member of the body of Christ this morning... You want to be an important part of this assembly. We encourage you to take the steps necessary. If you've been sufficiently taught and you want to obey our Lord in baptism, we stand ready to help you with that this morning. If you need the prayers of this congregation for any reason, come have a seat on this front row while we stand and sing.